Now for an episode in our series, Trying Something New. We're talking to women who've made a career change or picked up new skills post 40. As the retirement age rises, many of us will work into our 60s and even 70s. Time to channel Eos, the Greek goddess of new beginnings, with her insatiable desire for love and adventure. Sounds good? Okay, so are we retraining or rethinking? We want to hear about how you did it, why you did it, and was it worth it? Our guest today is the awesome Janet Orr, and we're discussing the theme, It Takes 10 Years to Change a Career. Janet started her career in PR and marketing, but after 20 years, she began a different journey. 10 years on, Janet is now working as a development executive and assistant producer with Merman, the production company that brought you, amongst other things, Catastrophe and This Way Up on Channel 4, Motherland on the BBC, and most recently, Bad Sisters on Apple TV. Prior to that, she was a freelance script editor and development producer, working with a number of production companies and broadcasters, as well as working directly with writers to help develop and produce their original TV, short film and feature film scripts. Janet's also worked in-house with Sky as a development executive in its comedy commissioning team. While there, her passion for new talent led her to set up a Bridges to Industry project with the National Film and Television School, of which she is a graduate herself, to give new writers and producers their first TV commission. Finally, Janet is a long-term fan of Funny Women, the organisation supporting women in the comedy industry. She regularly judges their stand-up, comedy writing and short film awards and is now a non-executive board member on their board. Welcome to the podcast, Janet. We are delighted to have you here with us. How are you feeling today, Janet? Are you on the right side of 40? Uh, cold, really, because it's been snowing, hasn't it? <laughs> but otherwise, I'm good, thank you. You see, my, my, my catchphrase is not working, Eve. Give it another go, go on. All right. So, Janet, the most important question to ask you, are you on the right side of 40 today? Absolutely. <laughs> us too you see eve the catchphrase is working right janet you and i are old friends we have worked together in the past and when i met you i was working as a downtrodden project manager actually not downtrodden at all and you were working in pr and marketing when we met up recently to talk about you know you coming on the podcast you said something very interesting to me which i thought about a lot you said to me that it takes 10 years to change your career. I, I think that's a really interesting concept. Did you know when you started thinking about a career change that it would take 10 years? And if you had thought about that, would it have put you off? Because I think it might have put me off. Uh, what I equated was a guy, an American comedian called, I think his name's Eddie Cantor. And he said it takes 10 years to be an overnight success, i.e. people don't see all the hard work that goes on behind the scenes. What they see is all of a sudden you're there and you're doing things and they're just like, oh, how did that happen? But actually you've been slogging your guts out for quite a while. So that's the thing that was in my head because during, during my journey, as corny as that sounds, you know. No, a, we're here to talk about the journey. That's the <laughs> interesting bit for us. So while all of that has been happening, there's a whole bunch of stuff I've read. And one of the things is about changing career or, you know, learning new skills rather than changing career in particular. And there's also another stat, which is, done by people who do these sorts of like you know life coachy people that's Malcolm Gladwell he has this additional stat which is the 10,000 hour rule oh yeah so heard like, about that yeah so you know that's 10,000 hours to become an expert or something so either way it takes it takes a while to do it and um, yeah. so I think the reason I talked about the 10 years when we were we were chatting was literally just because it has been 10 years I, I made I started my career change 
just after my 40th birthday, my midlife crisis, and I started it approaching my first, my, I think I was just 41 when I went to do my master's in scheme writing. There'd been some things happening in the few, in the months previous, which had led me to do my master's and I've just turned 51. So it's literally 10 years since I've been, since I started that journey. What made you decide to go in a totally different direction? Or maybe it's not a totally different direction. It's not really a totally different, it's the direction I should have gone in uh, years ago when I was leaving school. So I always loved theatre and writing and drama and all those things and television was never on our radar but theatre was because you, you do school plays don't you so mm. I did plays at school and I directed those which somebody reminded me was a very long time ago but that was always in my mind and my blood I always loved writing from when I was very young I used to like, win some writing competitions and stuff when I was really young and then but when it came to choosing universities that wasn't our school wasn't geared up for things like that so some of my best mates from school were creative in terms of fashion and design and art and like they also had to kind of find their own way in terms of when we're going to going to go to uni because that wasn't what our school was really interested in um and so when i was looking for my next stage well, it just wasn't there and i didn't have the wherewithal i suppose I and mean, i kind of did when we did when you did your um was it your work experience thing i did go and work in a magazine but i think at that point basically i think between 17 and 16 and 35 between 16 and <laughs> maybe 25 or 23 anyway definitely i was just playing about a bit too much messing around started drinking obviously my mum can't listen to this podcast right in a little bit <laughs> didn't focus enough on what how i could achieve what i wanted to achieve i wasn't really sure what was out there actually and how i was going to achieve it anyway i ended up doing a course which wasn't quite the right course to me had lots of fun at university but a bit too much fun at university i think you're being far too hard on yourself and how on earth are any of us really supposed to know what what we're going to do and plan out our futures at the age of 16. i think the more interesting thing is that we we find our way back there eventually don't we i mean i think it is interesting Definitely. But I also think about and meet lots of people who actually who were similar ages to me, who, when they graduated from uni, went and did BBC apprenticeship courses, which don't really exist anymore. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of back in the day, there were a whole bunch of those apprentice courses, which I didn't even know existed. No. And, and, and a lot of people found them by mistake. It wasn't because they had a foot in the door. But I think there's a whole, the same way that you meet, you know, you and I, Caroline, the stuff we used to work on when I was doing marketing, you were doing project management. We used to work with civil servants who were career civil servants. But the reason they were career civil servants was literally because they, they was out of accident, they literally went to a job centre and that was a job they were given on and they just never got off that road. Yeah, and so I think that's why I was a project manager, actually. <laughs> that's kind of what I mean. So it's like, it's that thing of, some people just have that determination and, you know, the whole way through school or university are in the uni drama team and all that kind of stuff. And it's just different route was more my point and so what I did was useful and like now I look back and I can see some usefulness and benefits from my 20-year marketing and PR career but there's also a part of me which thinks actually if I had had the wherewithal or knowledge or insight or whatever to discover one of those apprenticeship programs I would have loved that straight out of you know 20 you know yeah. some people who went into doing exactly what we're doing now radio stuff essentially you're doing podcasts it's radio stuff there's some yeah. people who started doing that when they were 21 22 straight out of uni amazing and, yeah. and then they've built up in a career in the industry for that so everyone has their own path and it's all good but it's it's also interesting to see those alternatives was more my point yeah does it make you feel a bit frustrated because i often have that i look back and wish i'd all the things that i was interested in when i was at college i wish i'd pursued them more avidly i wonder whether it is for people of our generation that 
those opportunities weren't always there. They weren't always obvious. I think that exactly that they weren't always obvious and but some people did have the wherewithal to search them out and find them I mean you know I went into an industry that wasn't obvious either PR and marketing nobody really heard of that but it just so happens that that's the one I found myself in I went to Holborn Library looked from A to Z of jobs and got to P public relations you get to write you get to meet people that's why I went into PR but I didn't realize at the time it was a different kind of writing than the writing that I wanted to do and I've had a great career with it and happy days I had lots of fun and it was brilliant but there was always that urge in me I knew there was something else I wanted to be doing. You know, is that what sort of happened when you were about to turn 40 is you realized I, I need to apply myself to a different path. I need to create my own job because you sort of suggested that, you know, creating your own path might have been something that appealed to you more. Um, I think I was just bored. I was just bored. Caroline and I worked on, as I say, we worked for loads of they weren't boring it was interesting projects at the time but they we were, were full on for education weren't we doing contract work projects and F -f fulfilling yeah. fulfilling projects as well Absolutely fulfilling projects but didn't fulfill either of our souls and we yeah, knew they that what about we each other do. yeah definitely i mean you describe it as a midlife crisis at 40 but you know really it's more of an epiphany isn't it when um, well i think it's a bit of both isn't it it's the same it's a kind of you know it's but it's the fine line between between one and the two isn't it it was a midlife crisis it was just that thing of like you know I got to 40 and I was like oh my god I don't see what the fuss is about why is everyone making a big deal about it and my birthday's <laughs> July and then by Christmas I was like oh shit I'm 40 what's going on in my life why am I in a job that I'm really bored of and, and like to the point where I couldn't even bring myself to write pitch documents anymore and yeah I'd go and have I, I like meeting people I'd go and have great meetings and then just be thinking oh my god but do I really want to do PR for their really boring product? And just mm. like, no, not really. And at that point, it was like, okay, well, I really need to make a change. And a friend, and I kept here the whole time I I'd set up my company. I had a PR company by them. But by the whole time I'd done that, I had, um, for the last 10 years, had been doing short writing courses. And every time I'd done one of those courses, I'd met somebody who'd been to a place called Arvon, the Arvon Foundation. I kept hearing yeah. about this amazing place, which is set up by writers, for writers. And um, I kept thinking, I need to go. I need to go but oh my god it seems really expensive and um and am i really that kind of writer and i went to a wedding of a, an old friend a friend of mine in ireland and one of my old colleagues was there with his wife and it so happened his wife worked at one of the arvon centers and she and i got stupidly stupidly junk got on like a house on fire had a great night and then from then she started sending me information all the time about everything to do with her arvon and just kept saying you should go you should go you should go and eventually one day I just, again, it was literally, I had to write this pitch document. I just thought, I can't, I can't bear it. So instead of writing this pitch document, I wrote an application for for Arvon. And I just literally wrote this stream of consciousness because you have to apply for it and they have to let you on. And, yeah. and I just wrote this stream of consciousness and uh, <laughs> I looked at it and thought, I should probably type that up and make it a little bit better. <laughs> and I thought, you know what, if I type it up, it's not going to have the same empathist empathy i mean that is my that's my heart on that piece of paper there so mm. i just put it in an envelope and sent it and i got on and she said she she told me ages later that they they looked at it and they did laugh because it really was a scribble of consciousness but it also showed that i really had a, a love for doing it I, and so i wanted to go i looked basically only their courses because i wanted to go to theirs yeah um, in, in hebden bridge and i found a course which was writing for television and so i'd never written for television before I don't, and i'd never read a script before actually i'd only read plays 
So why did you that. choose that one? Why write because it was because it felt like a bit like writing for writing plays. There were other things which were like poetry and writing a yeah. second novel and all those sorts of things. And I just thought that just sounded interesting and fun. And yeah, why not give it a go? Loved it. I've heard so many good things about Arvan. I've always fancied going on one myself. When I was doing the masters in creative writing, I met quite a few people on the course had done exactly what you'd done. They'd sort of gone, right, I need to do this. And they'd gone and done an Arvon course. And that was the start. There's something quite magical about the place, I think. It's it's a place for people to kind of stop and then and start something new. So how long was the course? It was only a week, week residential course. You get them on the Monday and you'll go till Monday till Saturday. And you are, I mean, it might have changed now. This was obviously a few years ago. But at the time you get the Monday, daytime you're taught. In the evenings you go off to your room and you, you write and then you have <clears throat> excuse me one or two guest speakers and they put you in groups of people groups of two or three or four people and say so in the evening one of those groups will cook so it's a bonding experience as well yes so it's, you eat, eat together lunch and breakfast and I my friend my friend's husband now husband had said he's a person I know he picked me up from the station and he said yeah they get quite highly strung there and I was like, can't be that bad, you know, and it's just a right. He's like, yeah, people get really strong. He said, he said, the poets are actually the most intense and most full on. That doesn't really surprise just... me. Yeah, that sounds about right. Because poetry, all that, that boiled down prose. I mean, they must boil down their emotions, mustn't they? You know, everything must feel a bit red hot. <laughs> and I think they definitely do. And I was like, you know, it's a bit silly how they're getting so excited. It's just a course. And then fast forward a few days later, and I was just, oh my God, it's the end of the world. And I wasn't getting things. <laughs> yeah. Because you have to, you get a couple of one-to-one -one sessions and then the rest is good classes. Um, and then you have this tutor. And we were lucky enough that in my during my session, I had Paul Abbott, who creator of Shameless, was the person who came and taught us and or gave us a session who was brilliant but I we also had a not so well known Ed script editor I think she was who came as well yeah it was great was it the best week of your life probably was one definitely up there I mean it's the life-changing one because I yeah. got back I think I did it in in the March and in the September I started my master's so yeah it definitely it changed my life like that definitely I mean what was the main thing that you got out of the week just the joy of scripts and writing and getting your head down you know storytelling just the joy of storytelling i suppose and doing it in a bigger scale than the short stories or the pr stuff which is totally different than mm. i've been doing the excitement of and the excitement and the fear you know i mean part of that as i say my friend was like i know people get really stressed on these courses i said oh, i can't be that bad and then on the on the friday night we all had to read out what we've been working on and so we had one-to-one -one sessions as i said and I was like, oh, it's all going to care, not too bad. And everybody there was really experienced. Like, everyone was like, oh, I've got no experience. I've just written 10 scripts. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got no experience. I've got something. Somebody literally said, I've got no experience. I've got, I've just got a play on at the Manchester Corn Exchange. And I was like, okay, that, <laughs> that means that's you just cheese. That's loads. Yeah. And so, but she's like, I've got no TV experience, just theatre. Uh, I'm like, like, I've written some news releases, actually. So it really was. <laughs> It was like, that was the killer. And I just thought, what am I, because that was the start when you have to do the round the room and everyone describes who they are. 
and they will go no I'm nobody I'm not and they're all really experienced oh. so I sat there thinking oh fuck why am I here and I hadn't even stupidly I was just so excited to be there and I nearly missed, nearly missed my train I was so happy to get there not miss my train see my friend for one night and then get to that thing and I was just like oh my god I've done it I can't believe I've heard about this organization I'm finally here and then I got there and just went, oh, be a sigh of relief and then forgot that actually then I got to introduce myself and they were all talking about all this stuff. And I was like, oh my God, out of my deck. I actually was, you know, everyone was so lovely and really welcoming and the one-to-ones were really great. And it was only when I got, to, and like people, other people were stressing out. One girl got her boyfriend to come and meet her because she was upset and getting really stressed. Well, that was on the Tuesday and I was thinking, what's going on? And I was thinking, I'm fine. Very I'm early fine. on in the week. Yeah, like really early stress. on the week. Like seriously. And I was like, I'm doing all right. And um, and then on the Friday, we had our morning session. And then at the lunchtime, I I had my one-to-one, my final one-to-one. So I was there with my, here's my script. I'm going to read this tonight. Isn't it great? And the guy just went, no, <laughs> that's not working. That's not working. That's not working. That's not working. Yeah, you can't do that. That's not working. And you know that moment when you can feel your lip trembling? Like that thing of like... Oh. My bottom lip trembling, and I was just like, Oh my god! And I've only got like five hours to rectify this. And I had that thing where, and luckily, it's such a beautiful setting. It was in um, Sylvia Plath, yeah, it's in her house, um, out in Hebden Bridge. And uh, so it's beautiful setting, it's countryside. And after this guy gave me some home treats, I was like, Right, well, I came, I'm supposed to be going to lunch, forget lunch. And I had to kind of have a walk around, clear my head, get my ass to my room, and just sort it out basically. And so, of course, what I presented in the end wasn't, you know, there were still loads of things wrong with it, but it was a really great experience. It was amazing. It was really challenging. I think that, I think that's probably the thing. Part of the midlife crisis in the boredom was I wasn't being challenged. Yeah. And that was it. And so it was, uh, it was probably the most challenging, challenged I'd been in 15 years, if not longer. So in that way. So it was great. So I, for all of the pain and suffering it was wonderful and beautiful and I loved it and came back just going I want more of that basically and so I looked to see where the masters in screenwriting that I could do and there was one at Birkbeck University of London which was starting in September so I applied to that yeah so yeah and that was it and that's why I did that full-time or part-time part-time because I had to work I had to work yeah had to, um, well that's the thing isn't it about these this, these transformations in our lives I mean, when we're normal people and we're grown ups and we've got mortgages to pay and et cetera. I mean, that's the thing. How did you find the studying and working and the juggle? And did you have to compromise on work? It was difficult. It was really hard. I was in a good situation, though, in the sense that I was earning a pretty good wedge. I was earning a good day rate. So I didn't have to do five days, but I was still doing a lot. And as you know, even when you say you're not doing five days, you are doing that. Oh, anyway. yeah. But it was good. I was, yeah, it was, it was a good, it was good to be able to do it. It was good to have the options. And look, I still went away. In fact, I had at that period in time, I had a period where I was going to Thailand a lot for Christmases and stuff. And actually more, more my second calls, actually, I was still, I was still going and have, I was spending Christmas there. I'd go to Thailand or South Asia. I've got a friend who lives in Cambodia. I'd go out there for Christmas in the year. And in the end, I'd take my books with me. So my case would be full of books, my like my notes, <laughs> all the stuff I used to study. And then I would work on the beach pretty much until it got until I couldn't see or got too hot. I'd work on the beach all day. And then at night time, I would, you know, drink with my mates. <laughs> but then I'd be trying to find the wife and make sure the Wi-Fi was connected so I could send in assignments <laughs> with my deadline and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, there was a phase of that for a couple of years. Um, you were ahead yeah. of your time remote working. I well, I mean, yeah. And, and, well, there were people out there who were properly remote working. I was yeah. remote skiving studying. 
so that was all fine but it, do you know what it wasn't it, it was more words and stuff it, it was more of that thing you know I like to go out party a bit so it was more of that thing where you know you get people going there's this party on and I'd be like yeah but actually I've got 12 assignments to do I'm not going anywhere and that thing you have to kind of get into the mentality of there's just always another party on isn't there and this is what I've decided to do at this moment in time and might get either do it or don't do it if I'm going to do it I need to yeah. do it properly did you um, find that you worked harder at your master's than you did at your undergraduate career? hundred percent. I say this to people all yeah. the time. Yeah, of course. Because when you go straight after your school, you just try not to get a job. That's why you go to uni. <laughs> it's yeah. just like, well, I've finished school. What else am I going to do? And rather than, as opposed to going back on with purpose, I think when you go back as a mature student, whether regardless of what course you're doing, I think if you go back as a mature student, you're going back with much more purpose, definitely. Yeah, I, I felt that with me that, you know, at university, I was just doing the bare minimum and, you know, you're just going through the motions. But when I actually chose to do a master's course, I was surprised at how much I worked, <laughs> how much yeah. I took it seriously, that like I applied a work logic to what I was doing. I bet you had laser charts, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> do you know what? No. And no. I should have done. I should have done. <laughs> But you don't always project manage yourself very well, is all I can say. Yeah. <laughs> like all the plumbers have leaky taps. <laughs> yes, exactly. So it's really interesting about that sort of single mindedness. Did you ever have moments of doubt? Yeah, 100%. What am I doing? <laughs> Why am I doing this? Why am I spending this money? Why am I? Especially a course like that. It's not like you're doing a practical course or, a, you know, a vocational course. I mean, I suppose it is kind of vocational, but it's not like you're doing something normal. It's a weird course to be doing. And it's mm. a weird thing to tell people, you're, you know, people ask you, why aren't you coming out or why aren't you doing X, Y, and Z? And it's because I'm studying what you're studying for. You just, you felt, you sound like the biggest, especially at my age, you sound like the biggest fraud, stroke, idiot, stroke, whatever. <laughs> like, get a proper job, love. <laughs> it just seems ridiculous. And you've gone from one Ponzi thing, stroke PR, to like another Ponzi. <laughs> It's just like, what are you doing, Janet? Were you the oldest person on the course? I wasn't, no, thank you for asking. Yeah. I wasn't the oldest person on the course, no. Yeah, it was a real mix of ages. There were some people who, some people had gone straight from their degree, 100%, but there were people who were old. There were people who, in the, like, the NFTS is different because, like, when I went, the NFTS, you have to have done something in the industry or at National Film and Television School. You have to have done something in the, you have to have created something before you get there. So whilst a lot of them are still very young, a lot of people, especially what I was doing, have done some sort of work in the industry. So they kind of let me off on, a, on a, an exception, actually, because I hadn't worked in the industry really, but because I'd just done the masters, so I could show my intent and my intention and all that stuff, and I could show scripts that I'd been writing. So you went from but, masters in screenwriting at Birkbeck to yeah. National Film and Television School, and what uh, was that? Postgrad in development, script development. And did you go from Arvon to Birkbeck to NFT? Yeah, Arvon, there was a couple of months. That was March. And then I started in September. And then Birkbeck to NFTS was an overlap, actually. In fact, the first day of my NFTS course, I literally, we had a whole bunch of stuff. With, so I was still working on my final project, my the feature I had to write, feature film. And so there was a whole bunch of stuff we were supposed to read for that first day. And I just said, this absolutely, because I hadn't left my flat for about two weeks. And that all, all I was reading was my, my script. And when they sent us something that we were supposed to read, and I said, there's not a chance. I can't, I'm not consuming any other, anything else. I just, this is it. That's all that's in my head. Cause you gotta, you know, there's so much you're thinking about and even down to continuity and 
as well as story. Yeah, there's so much. So I was just like, there's there's no way I can stop thinking about other scripts at this minute. I just have to do it. But I'll come because it's the first day and I want to be introduced to everybody and I'll be there. But that's literally the first time I'm leaving the house for however many weeks. And they were like, yeah, we get you. Don't worry about it. It's all good. Just come. So they were great. This is a story of great determination. Like, you, you know, like some amazing, I don't know, like you're on you've got on some big motorcycle and you're storming through every opportunity in screenwriting, you know, off to some destination. Did you know where you were going or did you just think this is the next step and it seemed obvious? No, I had no clue at all. I think the the screenwriting thing, the the masters, I just did it because I loved that week at, at um, Arbonne so much. Yeah. That's exactly why I did it. But halfway through the, the masters, I realised how much I loved it. And then it's like, okay, well, what am I, doing with this now i didn't i did it for the joy of it but then when you're doing it after what it's like i'm going to spend all this time in it is the only way to make something of this what you do with this so it's not just mm. a crazy two years and then i knew like how do you become a screenwriter the question everybody always asks how do you get become an employed screenwriter the question everybody asks i didn't know and so but i knew there were jobs in development i'd heard of jobs in development and there was a slight bit of development just to this is what it is on my master's course um and it was more that it was more a case of okay i need to find a way to do something constructive with these two years that i've just spent how yeah. do i do that because saying i'm going to leave uni and be a screenwriter <laughs> and um and that's a great thing to do and people do it happy days and i'm not knocking that as well but i just to knew it's right yeah yeah so it started so with the that. love of writing and then yeah writing yeah. and yeah so you know you go back to back in the day it was plays wasn't it so it's mm. that and it's just yeah it was storytelling and in fact i even wrote poems as well so i am one of the oh, you, you could have gone on <laughs> that course i could have gone on that course <laughs> i've been crying as well um, but yeah so storytelling in in many forms i suppose and that was the format that grabbed me so this is so exciting so just thinking about the narrative thread you know there's been so many twists and turns and we're only in year three i think of the 10-year hard graft <laughs> what happens next it is this is like storytelling listening to this <laughs> so i did the nfts that was good that was i think it's 16 months 14 months 16 months it's like the september to the november i think we hand up the final project in the beginning of december and that was a good course as in so a year yeah 16 months that was great really enjoyed it really hard and when they were interviewing and i was hiding i was in my um in my marketing job my pr job and hiding in one of their glass rooms <laughs> when i was being interviewed for this um trying to pretend i was talking to a client and i remember them saying do you think you can do this because you know it's really hard and you've just been studying all this time for your masters and i remember thinking I've just done a master's. How hard can it be? And I, I very quickly found out just how hard it could be. It was really I difficult. love your optimism. Very always, ever the optimist. Yeah, ever the optimist. Uh, it was really hard. I found it really difficult. What was different about it that made it difficult? It was just a lot of work immediately. You're learning a lot about, you know, the this, this structure. You know, when you're doing, when you're writing scripts and stuff, you're learning about genre and you're learning about various things. You're learning about three and five act structure and different ways to compose things but it's development is diff is really different in terms of trying to understand the writer where the writer's coming from trying to analyze you're really analyze the structure then and how things might work what makes characters work it's just there's just something slightly different about it whilst also trying to be empathetic to the person you're working towards as well and you realize especially from a writer perspective you realize hopefully realize how to be good to writers and treat them well and you realize the sensitivities of people like you the writer 
it's just an interesting you just kind of flip it on its head to a certain extent does it help um, to be a writer as well i think it's helped me definitely i think it definitely can help i think you know as many things as you know about the industry or any industries can always help you be better even i remember used to say all the time you know working in pr it doesn't matter if you're an account director if i know how to fill the photocopy machine as well that also helps me my job that whole thing about oh, that's not for me i think it's mm. good to know as much as you can about anything any role and what it comprises it and how you just the whole all the things that go into it and i think definitely understanding that from a development point of view and working with writers i think definitely having an, an understanding of when you're talking to people and you're looking at their work that's their baby that's mm. the thing that they've slogged their heart out to create and handing it over is no mean feat that's a really you know handing your baby over to somebody to come and look at and criticize and critique and feedback on in itself is heart-wrenching so i think i definitely understand that and feel that when i'm talking to writers um i don't take any of it for granted if i you know i freelance for a few quite a few years before i landed where i am now when i was doing all of that i every single time a writer employed me especially even individual writers more so actually than production companies or working with broadcaster all of those things that are wonderful of course but when an individual writer employs me pays me their hard-earned money hands over their baby to me I totally feel that much more I totally feel indebted to them I feel their trust I feel to take I need to take good care of their heart really and do my very best with that and I think that definitely I'm sure everyone feels the same as well but I, I think that it's good to hear though I mean particularly from a writer's perspective is it, it is that is good to hear because it is hard to hand stuff over to other people it's hard to hear that your your script has too big a nose or cries too much it's nice that someone care else can care for your baby and help you yeah 100 that's definitely our job that's definitely the role is to help nurture the baby help them help it grow and and also for me as well i like to nurture the writer as well i think that's really important i think it's it's such a hard industry to be in to to get to break through into in the first place but also to stay in and maintain a life and a career and everything else and just confidence in. So I think, you know, it's really important every step of the way, really, to try and help people realise that it is for them, that it can be for them, that they can be part of it. And it isn't about all the flashy things that we sometimes see. And, you know, some of the people who aren't perhaps that kind always don't, you know, that it's important to know that they that we shouldn't let those things put people off. Do you think they teach kindness? on the courses definitely i think my development course at nfts had great teachers and we definitely taught kindness definitely kindness and how to give how to give feedback is you know that's kindness definitely and, and where i am now we do, we all talk about that all the time you know it's about you know you don't yeah. you know you don't just go in there with something horrible but i think that's just generally how you should be in life anyway and i think that general there'll always be something great in in a script there'll always be something in there that's great usually there's loads of things in there that hopefully you, that are great it's like if you meet somebody they're just like oh my god you know and someone's just criticizing you all the time in any situation that's never one it's not going to get the best out of you but two it's just not nice is it it's not i think it's, i think in people's busy lives i think what's easy to do when people are busy is to think they're cutting to the chase and they're yeah actually, i think it's important to remember all the bits as well and give people the full picture when you're speaking to them so they understand what's brilliant about what they're doing um as well as understanding you know how they can make it really shine 
Yeah, I agree with that. And I, I think we as a culture have a have a propensity and a work culture in particular have a propensity to focus on what needs to be fixed or what needs to work on and the positives or what's going well doesn't need mentioning because it's it's doing fine. And it, it is sort of the wrong way around. People do need positive reinforcement. They need the reassurance that actually all the other stuff that you're doing is is great. Just carry on doing that. Don't we all? I think that's not, yeah. I mean, I think that's 100%. I think that's all of us, regardless of industry, age, anything. I think we all well, need to... Age is that. an interesting one, because something we're asking all the people we're interviewing for the podcast is, does being older make you better at what you're doing at the moment? Does your experience give you an empathy and a patience or a kindness that you might... I'm not saying that people of a certain age are kind or kind of, but does, you know, what does coming into this industry at your age what do, what do you bring to it what advantages does it give you and does that understanding of people do you think that's helped you i think so it's really interesting actually to me because when i first came into this industry i used to be really embarrassed that i'd had this other career i used to be really embarrassed that i hadn't actually spent the last 20 years in the industry and it was always a bit like and people will always do that but you don't understand because x y and z and there's a whole load of things that i don't understand and mm. i will always need to learn continually continue and i hope i was do i had an old boss once who told me you never isn't need to learn anything more which i always found interesting um but i like to think i'll always need to learn and there's so much i don't know about this industry and 10 years really is nothing compared to you know in the in the great scheme of things and, this, and compared to people who've been doing it for 20 30 40 of course but i you know so i was always really kind of like oh my god don't talk about the fact that I knew. Whereas <laughs> now, and, and especially don't talk about the fact I did PR and marketing, like with a proper job, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> and so it's true. Uh, and it was only in later years, um, funny enough, ironically, because I've ended up working with Merman, which is wonderful. It's, it's only when they launched, I found that they launched a commercial arm. And I was like, oh, wow. So I'm running away from the fact that I've got this background. Whereas they're embracing the commercial side of creative of storytelling and understanding that it can be beneficial. And I, it was a real, it was really, I just found it really interesting. Yeah. I mean, I can't see how your experience can do anything but add to exactly. what you have to offer. I mean, you have, you've already had a different insight to to the industry that those people wouldn't have had. And I'm sure that people see that in you and the way way in which you approach projects it's funny when you say about being embarrassed that you had that you're new i mean how do you think we cope with that at our age in terms of coming into doing new things i mean i totally agree that i think i think it's fun to learn you're never you're never too old to just keep learning new things but sometimes i must admit being the older person in the room and I don't know things. Sometimes I think I, I'm, I am sometimes a bit torn between I ought to know this is this is a bit embarrassing. So I do get that. Do you know what I mean? But on the other hand, I kind of don't care as well. Yeah, it's a weird one. It is at the end of the day, you just have to go, this is who I am. I think that's more the thing. It's more that the same way that I don't really wear makeup, literally have to go, this is my face. Literally much more I can do. That Every now and again, I might put on some mascara. That's about it. There's no point pretending that my face is any different. There's no point pretending that my career has been any different. That's a big part of, and that I'm a different person. That's a big part of who I am. I like to think that the years of working in agencies or working where I was working in PR agencies or working in big PR departments and various projects or working with you in government departments and 
you know, all sorts of things have been done through all of those, including people management, managing teams. I think there's a whole load of skills, actually, that I've picked up the same way you will have done, Caroline. I'm sure you have as well, Eve, over the years that come to us kind of second nature. I think also what's interesting in life is every now and again, like when I was trying to make the transition into the industry and come out of PR, I did a lot, because I didn't want to do camp PR campaigns anymore, so I did a lot of training. So I started off doing PR marketing training for people, so I'd create the campaign for them and then train them how to do it themselves. And then I've been asked to do some training in screenwriting, actually. I said no, actually, the first few times because I just didn't think me to do it. And, it's, and then I was persuaded to do it. And then when I did it and it went well, it's that thing of being surprised how much, what you actually do know. And it's not because I'm, I am a font of all knowledge by any stretch of imagination. It just is the same way that I really love hearing other people talk about their experiences and sharing the knowledge they do have. The little knowledge that I've got, I'm very happy to share and I'm very happy to discuss it with people. And it's, ama it's amazing how many people are like, do get something from it, but you always forget that. So yeah, I've still got a long way to go. I've still got a lot to learn. But in amongst that, in these years, there are some nuggets that I can share. So are you where you want to be? Not right, right now. I'd like to be on the beach in Thailand, yes. uh, drinking <laughs> a cocktail, reading a book. It is cold at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in work sense, um, I'm getting there. I've still, as I say, I've still got a long way to go, but I'm getting there. Yes, I'm working with a great production company. I am working on some really interesting projects. So I had a period and I was trying to work out how to, what the next step would be for me in this industry where I was working, develop, producing some shorts because I was trying to get more experience in production as well as development. And then I was given this opportunity with Merman to assist produce on a TV show, which is a big jump and that's great. And so we've been doing that for the last year and helping them develop the show from a storytelling editorial perspective. And then we shot it over the summer. <clears throat> so that's been wonderful. Challenging, full on, but a great experience in so many ways. And that is definitely the road that I need to be going down and want to be going down. I'm working with a great writer and one great writer in particular who I'm trying to get, who I've just got a commission, trying to get her stuff made and working with other writers to develop their things with a view to getting them commissions with broadcasters as well. And, you know, I'm doing the journey, man. It's, it's, I'm, but there's ambition <laughs> about what where I want to be. In. I, I mean, know. Like, I hate are you talking about, fun? You're making me talk about myself. I know. And it's brilliant. <laughs> We're really enjoying hearing about the journey. And um, are you having fun on the journey? I am having fun on the journey. Yes. It's, um, it's a lot of hard work, but I am having fun on the journey. Yes, indeed. I'm glad I've made the, I'm glad I did the journey. Yeah. Does it, does it feel right that you did it? You know. Yeah, 100%. I 100%. I think the worst thing ever is is to be think to be is the what if. I always yeah. think the worst thing is the what if and and actually it was probably right that I did it when I did it. In some ways I think oh yes, I should have done it sooner, but obviously it wasn't right for me sooner. I hadn't found it in the right way sooner. But there's also there's always going to be a part of me, you know, I was earning good money, really good money. Yeah, you know, and I, I think you made that decision then. But these things don't, I mean, we think that these, you know, you say oh, I was 40 and I had a midlife crisis. You know, you know that this has been building for a long time. It's just obviously, yeah. it's, it's just the moment where it all comes together, isn't it? And you have the, did you feel you had to have courage? Because it is a, you know, that moment to, to leap kind of thing. I think, yes, to a certain extent. I think with me, it's probably more a fear factor. So it, I think that's probably what propels you more than courage. I think the fear of, like, I've got massive FOMO, I hate missing out. And like the fear, so my fear factor at 40 was, I'm going to, I knew I've, I've known for 
at least 10 years. In fact, I knew when I set up my PR company, what, 12, 15 years before that, that I didn't want to do PR. I, the whole reason I didn't call my company, my company was called Awesome Communications, a pun in my surname, Communications, because I didn't call it Awesome PR on, on purpose. And I always knew I wanted to do something around writing, which is why I called it Communications, but I wasn't sure what. Mm. So I always knew that for that whole time, but I didn't know how I was going to make that plunge of what I wanted to make. And when I got to 40 in my midlife crisis, it was more the fear factor of, I've wanted to do this change for so long and I haven't done it. And I'm going to be working for at least another 20 years. How am I going to spend another 20 years wishing I'd made the change? So it was a fear of being stuck and regressing it that made me make the leap. And then that made me finally go, as I say, the fear of writing that pitch document. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to write this pitch. I don't want to pitch for this project. I don't want to work for this. They were lovely people, but I don't want to work for these oh, people. That's not yeah. what I want to be doing. And then when I was finishing the masters, it was a fear of what have I just spent the last two years doing if I'm not going to use it towards something soon as I love it, that maybe go, what's the next thing? And so it's always that, I suppose. I suppose I have a fear of failure and wasting money and looking foolish and wasting time. And <laughs> I think that's you all of us. I mean, aren't we all riddled with that? I mean, I, I totally relate to that. Um, yep. And I feel all of that embarrassment and waste of time. And can I justify this? And is it stupid? thinking I can do that and I mean we talked about in one of our other episodes we talk about imposter syndrome and I must admit I didn't realize that we all had it riddled with it. we're literally all riddled with it and it's so awful that we're all traveling through life with these doubts because there has to be something wrong that we would feel like this and um, it's a shame it's so self-limiting but we you like you say we all do it I think what's um, equally interesting, so I totally agree with you. I got to a point a couple of years ago when I was feeling a bit stuck in this industry, like how do I get to the next bit? And I'd always, every time you read about an excess, a successful person, you read that they've had a mentor. What is this magical mentor thing? How do you get one? <laughs> I knew I wanted one. And so I applied for the, an organisation called the Women in Film and Television Do a Mentorship Scheme. And I applied for that a few years back and did a, got through to the interviews and did the worst probably the worst interview of my life didn't get didn't get a place as it turned out that was a blessing in disguise I applied the next year in fact I wasn't even going to apply the next year because I was so ashamed of my interview <laughs> I was just like just gonna hide away we all okay. have those interviews in our closet yeah. but let's just walk away never speak of it again um but luckily they did a session where they talked about people who you know just getting people to apply for the following year and within it one of the women talked about the fact that she'd applied actually she'd applied four times and it was a full time she got on um and all the benefits that go around with the organizer with the mentorship scheme and anything else so i was like oh, i'll give it another go and i was delighted to, to get on the second time and my mentor is now my boss Cleaning Mountford, who is a co-founder of Merman. And in that, so it was it's wonderful on so many levels, including meeting her properly. I'd met her briefly before, but meeting her properly and spending time with her and then getting this opportunity to go and work with them. But from that, I've also met a wonderful peer group of women who are from various roles in the industry and women who normally I would get into a room with them all. And even now that I know them, I'd still get in a room with them all and think, oh my God, you're all absolutely amazing. Why would you possibly need a mentor? Why would you possibly need to be on this initiative? And it's amazing to find that everybody has their doubts and everyone has these things it's riddled with imposter syndrome <laughs> yeah you know and Crazy. you know 
And so it's wonderful to have the same way you, you guys are obviously, you, Caroline and Eve, you're obviously both geeing each other up and encouraging people and having that, providing a network for each other. It's wonderful to have met these women in this context and have that network going with each other as well. That's amazing. Did you have a, a broader level of support or was it just sort of instances where you found the support you needed and you, it, it just appeared when you needed it? I think some support, I mean, you know, I've got a great group of friends you were always saying lovely things about me and to me and that's what we do for each other as is my family my mum the minute she knew that I was interested in screenwriting anytime she saw any kind of book that might have a script related to it she'd buy it for me you know <laughs> you go to like yeah so in fact I've got the peep show um I think I've got, I think it's the peep show scripts that she found in some secondhand shop she doesn't know she does watch the peep show now because I've introduced it but she didn't know what the peep show was then but she just saw scripts <laughs> and I got love it the me. idea of you and your mum watching peep show too together <laughs> I'm, she's next door watching any fools and horses i've introduced her to any fools and horses That's recently right, yeah. and so yeah she's next door cackling at that which is fantastic so yeah so all of these things are i've got lots of support in that sense and i'm very lucky and appreciative of that and then i think from a work perspective it, it changes but over the years when i was my first one of, one of my first bosses in pr when i was going to leave i was working for itv actually doing pr for them directly in-house and when I was leaving and I was going to sat by myself, he became, he mentored me through that. And he was, gave me loads of great advice. And he's a very lovely man, Vivian Kimos. And yes, yeah, so he mentored me when I was trying to work for myself. And he gave me those wise words of, you know, if people aren't paying you properly, Janet, it's not, it's not work. It's just a hobby. <laughs> very good advice. <laughs> very good advice. <laughs> very good advice. <laughs> Oh dear, yeah, oh I, need, dear. I need to look to my own soul for that one. <laughs> I need to remind myself of that a couple of times. I am reevaluating my life choices. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Do you know what though, Janet? What really comes over to me when you're telling us about this whole story journey is the thing that I know about you anyway is how hardworking you are. And it's inspiring. I think I'm just in the world of just crack on with it, you know, you've got stuff to do, just do it. I think that's, yeah, that's kind of it. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. I can very happily scratch my ass on the sofa for days, eat chocolate, drink wine, watch some stuff on telly. Now I get to call that research if I'm watching stuff on telly. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, there's a definitely a side of me which doesn't have to be working and doing stuff. But I think, I suppose I just think, there's still stuff I want to do. There's still stuff I don't. I, you know, you ask me what what I want to do. I don't. I want to. I want to. I want to look back and not think what if. Yeah. That, to kind of know that I made that effort. You know, it's like you know that thing when you just you can't you just can't run that little bit extra for the tube or the bus or the train actually, and you miss it and you miss mm. the train by like a minute and then you've got to wait twenty. Just, should I just run there's a part of me i suppose it's a bit like that it's just like if you just put that extra bit of effort in actually you can achieve the things i think you just gotta crack on you know life is challenge can be challenging in lots of different ways you know the, the, we all need moments to just take that to allow that to happen and to admit that sometimes but the rest of it you just kind of get on with don't you and i think yeah. there are definitely times when stuff can be a lot but actually generally most people are great i've lucky that I've got opportunities that I'm having um sometimes it is about trying to make you an opportunity trying to make you unhappiness trying to find I'm lucky listen I'm lucky to even have been I'm lucky to have been to and literally this sounds like I'm being facetious and I really don't mean to be in the slightest but look at look at the great scheme of things I went to good schools I then was able to go to university 
I then was able to go to get a master's and I've been able to then go and do a post-grad. That's a lot. I've been, that's lucky in lots of ways. Some people never get that chance to do that. And I don't take any of that for granted in the slightest. I don't, as I say, I don't take for granted any of the people I've worked with who have given me opportunities along the way, um, who have understood kind of where I'm coming from and my vision. And I want to try and make the most of all of that and make everybody pleased that they've worked with me and pleased that they've given me the opportunity and felt that they've got something useful from their engagement with me in a fun way as well as a hard working way and when I do sit on my ass and scratch it and drink that <laughs> wine and, and watch that nonsense on television I want to feel that I've earned it as well I know that I've earned it because you know what I deserve that drink so <laughs> <laughs> Can we ask you what you've learned about yourself? Oh, well, I've learned about myself is actually that I'm more resilient than I think I am. But, I, but I'm not actually as resilient as I think I am, if that makes sense. Certain situations where I thought I would be able to brush things off more, I haven't been as resilient as I thought, which has been interesting. So there's been loads, there's been quite a few things which make you think introspectively about who you are, the person you want to be, and how you want to deal with certain situations. And I think it's all great learning. So I've come out the other side thinking, okay, okay, all of that's good for you. It's good for you. It's good to keep on learning, isn't it? Do you think you've suffered any ageism in your career transformation? Not as such, I don't think. Yeah, the reason I ask is because it's seen um, writing and television. There's always an emphasis on um, young talent and emerging writers. And I, th I think it just has the perception of being there being more young people involved and and which they definitely are i mean not everybody but just coming into it as as like you say you know coming into it as a new career halfway through your life i just wondered whether you ever felt that i mean i think like the initiatives uh, that are around are always for younger people so i remember when i was writing i was being frustrated i felt frustrated because things would always be the cutoff point would be like 30 years old or something yeah um, and that's a, that's if you were lucky and that's definitely changed but on the other hand you know I have had elements you know I worked I uh, when I got my role with Sky and in the commissioning team it was, it was part of a initiative by the Creative Diversity Network who were trying to get more diverse commissioners within all the broadcasters and you had to apply to the broadcasters specifically and I wanted to do comedy so I applied to Sky because they, they had the comedy role and I was you know in a situation where I was able to benefit from an initiative like that a program like that i think that what happens when you do an initiative like that though is there are certain people 100 percent who look at it unfavorably shall we say yeah. there's certain challenges that come with that but there's also some benefit there's also lots of benefits that come with it i think age-wise and inclusivity wise um from in terms of race and gender and actually socio socio-economic as well yeah um the industry is changing very much so in the sense that nobody wants to hear just about london stories and just about the same old same old people <laughs> telling stories they yeah. go people yeah, are realizing absolutely. there's a benefit 100 to having people of all age groups creating mm. all age groups all classes all from all regions um yeah. and different backgrounds different race backgrounds as well telling stories so i think it's changed to that in this to a certain extent saying that that's the world perception i still feel very conscious that i at my age and where I am, as opposed to running a company, um, mm. not because I think I should be running a company per se, but more just that, you know, I am 50, 51 in fact. So it's more that. 
anyway so yeah so that's where so if anything it probably comes more for me than anything else but i think really the the industry has definitely changed in recent years um in terms of trying to get different stories i know when we're looking for stories 100 i know for example the writers that i work with individually have been a mix of ages nobody quite as old as me uh but i know when we're definitely but that's before i got to here and here working this production company we're definitely working with ages with, with writers of, of range of ages and backgrounds and areas so it's definitely changing and looking for that behind the scenes as well it's good to know because mm. i think that's the thing that i mean people of our age group they do worry about i mean i know i do i think does anyone really want to hear my story does you know is somebody going to prefer a, a younger perspective i agree that that's what everybody thinks I mean, the same way that everybody thinks I'm not in London, nobody's interested. It really, it definitely isn't like that anymore, 100%. I remember when I first went to the London Screenwriting Festival, I remember hearing about that for years and always thinking that I couldn't go because, you know, who am I? To call myself a screenwriter, ridiculous. <laughs> but I remember like working the first, after my first year doing my master's, having like i had scripts then i actually had physical scripts so i remember thinking oh okay i, I can go to this this ex in fact that charged me hundreds of pounds and anyone can go as long as i pay my money but then i was like oh i can go to this i am i am a writer and i remember I, going along. i used to have a diary that you wrote and i used to call it i am a writer i am i am <laughs> it's good though <laughs> i used to write my thoughts down like no i am i am a writer <laughs> hey and you are a writer it obviously works you got published you did all of those things it's true though there's so much i'm not even joking there's so much which is around like that so that's why the peers are good and that's so much that's around self-assurance or reassurance that you are that you're allowed to be in that space and that's what i was saying before and i don't joke when i say it a lot of the things i try and do with the writers especially when i'm working with newer writers is about making them understand that they are allowed to be especially new writers who aren't the traditional kind of writers they might be from a different not usually included um ethnic ethnic background or a geographical background a lot of that quite often has been about making people realize they they, are, they do deserve to be there and to be heard because they do and it's really important so i'm saying this to you because of exactly what you said caroline about this whole does anybody hear my story so the first time i went to london screen rights festival one of the things they have this is a session called a pitch session pitch session we sign up for tickets to pitch as it sounds in the tin and i'd applied and we started the festival on the thursday and the pitching session that i was going to was on the sunday and on the thursday the opening drinks i was talking to somebody and they were saying oh you know there are some people here who are really difficult to work with and i'm really nervous to meet them and there's this one agent called Julian friedman and he's really harsh and oh and i realized i had him as my pitch in my pitching session so i was crapping myself and on the friday morning i went to a session on how to get an agent and i sat next to this woman who was there with her suitcases and she was slightly older than me she was there with the suitcases and she'd come down from harrogate and she said i'm in harrogate they always have a massive book fair there but this is the first this is the only place i know that just suffers scripts specifically my husband's got the kids for the for the weekend and i'm really excited but i'm really nervous i don't think i should really be here i feel like a massive imposter and i was like oh my god join the club it's taken me ages to build the courage to apply and chat 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 and we we're both like talking about how we should you know what do we have the right to be in this ring and then the speaker for how to get an agent was julian friedman and he came on stage he's quite a well-known agent and he talked about the fact that how much he loves the industry how much he loves scripts and script writing how he retired once in the industry but loved it so much he came back and then he talked about being a party in la with his wife who's his second wife and they have this wonderful family together like melded family together with their two families and he's they went to a party one night and he got back home that evening and he said to her oh that was a really great night wasn't it did you enjoy it and she said 
no, not really. And he was like, what do you mean? <laughs> I was like, but it was brilliant. Why not? And she said, it's all right for you. You don't get it. She said, when people talk to you, they talk to you and they have their interest in what you have to say. The moment they ask me what I do and I say that I'm your wife, they're immediately looking over my shoulder, looking for someone more interesting, more useful to speak to. And he said, and I was really shocked. He said, I couldn't believe it. If all those people in that room didn't understand that my wife, who's had two marriages, has brought up all these children, has had all of these life experiences, has got more story in her than some 18 year old who's just left school, then they are missing out on so much creativity and so much storytelling. I kid you not, Caroline Eve, myself and the lady next to us, both little tear down our eyes, just like, That actually oh makes me want to cry. I'm very God. easily moved and that. I promise you, we were both like, we both sat there going, we don't deserve to be here. We're too old. Nobody gives a shit about what we have to say. Wiring in this room full, full of young things. And he said that story and it's like he was talking to us. We would be literally both sat there and just what, like, I have oh to go God. and. I have to go and pitch my next novel. Sorry, the podcast is over. <laughs> <laughs> I'm inspired. <laughs> I mean, it's an amazing story. And it's amazing that he thought to tell it. Like, that's incredible empathy. He showed, you know, that he really understands the the challenge. And, you know, and I, I just, that's, that's a great story. There's nothing else to say. Honestly, it touched my heart so much. We were just so amazed. And uh, yeah, I helped that. Yeah, completely. So don't worry about age at all. I mean, I know we all do, but don't. You just have to go out there. And I can honestly say, from my perspective and from people I'm working with 100%, everybody's desperate for good stories. And that actually is the bottom line of it. People just really want good stories. And it's easy to say now that I'm in there, but in being amongst it and talking to people and seeing things, people do just want good stories and they don't care about your age. If your story is great and it fits in with what they want in their slate or what they want in their channel, that's all they care about. I think people just have to focus on, it's the simplest way to say it, but finding ideas that that they love, that are connecting with them, that they're going to be able to passionately and authentically. And if you try and grab onto what you think is trendy or anything like that, then it's going to come across in your writing. And actually, by the time you write it, it won't be trendy anymore anyway. And whoever said it was trendy and they were looking for it, we're looking for something else or they've got it from somebody else. Mm. So I think it's about finding the stuff that you love and staying true to yourself as a creative. Mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so this is your your pearls of wisdom for our, our listeners, you know, who want to change careers over 40. And this is the 10 years and how you get to it to become an overnight success, it sounds like. <laughs> well <laughs> yeah exactly well, the, overnight success. i mean maybe it's not about becoming an overnight success or even a journey of 10 years it's just about cracking on as you say you just get on with it and be confident that there are people who who want to hear our stories and there's good work to be done and there's things to learn and I think the only thing I'd, additional thing I'd say is that actually regardless of what industry you'll do it, you're in or not in, whoever's, whoever's listening out there. I think it's more about how do you want to spend the rest of your days? That's it, actually. Yeah. You know, if you're doing a job that's not necessarily fulfilling you, but does the job for you and you your outside life is amazing and giving you fulfillment you need, then happy days. If I have to work for another 20 years, what do I want to do? That was, that was it, really. That was my remit. That was my question. Just find a way. It's simple as this. Just find a way yeah, to be happy. It's simple. No, but, uh, but one of the reasons we wanted to do this podcast is because we are all going to be working for years. You know, there's, 
like our parents, a lot of them retired very early, but we recognised when even I started talking about this, that we were going to be working minimum another 20, 30 years, you know. And we're also seeing that people are recognising that, like yourself, and going, I don't want to be doing this anymore. I need to, and I've got time. I can spend 10 years changing my career. I can work towards something else. And it's the best thing to do because you're right. Who Nobody wants to sit doing the thing that they don't, they're not really happy with for that time. And if you've got any choice and any uh, ability to change that, but I think it's, uh, I think there's, there's a very old fashioned notion of that. We just have to put up with it, that work is work. And that as long as most things are okay in our lives, that's enough. But actually for a lot of us, work is important and that kind of fulfillment is important. And you do get to that point. And I know exactly how you felt about that pitch because I had a similar thing with a PowerPoint presentation. And I thought, really? This same presentation, different client, same presentation, same set of issues. Been writing this now for 15 years. I totally get that. And I think a lot of people get to that point. And it's and it's really about what you do with it, isn't it? Can I just flag one last thing as well? Because I want to let you know, let's be real as well. The, I, I am in a situation where I don't have kids and I'm not, you know, I'm not married. It's, you know, I'm kind of living with my mum now, but that's slightly different. I think it, it's easy for me to go, easy for me then to say, I'm gonna change it all because I didn't have two sprogs that I had to be looking after. Yeah, yeah, yourself though, so, to support and uh, Yeah, you know. absolutely. But I also, but people are in a situation where they can't change their job in that way. They can't, it's still a lot to, to you know, to be working and studying is a lot if you've got children to be doing things with as well. So I think that, you know, it might be that there are, that's what I mean, there might be other ways to do it. It might not be that throwing the whole career thing out is the yeah. way, especially if you've got, you know, I didn't have pensions. It's not like I was losing. I understand why some people don't do it is my longer point. Yeah. I didn't have a work pension connected to it. I didn't have all those sorts of things. As a freelancer, my life was in disarray anyway. <laughs> we were running a company, you know, it was that kind of thing. You know, yeah, so, you you're know, in my good company, company here. Say. <laughs> so, but if you're in a situation where you do have, you do have dependents in that sense, and you are, con con you know, you're tied into something, it might not be as simple as that. So it might be about finding that side hustle or finding something else which can give you that fulfillment for a while or give you a long term fulfillment rather than thinking just so I just mean it's not as it's easy to go yeah yeah you did that but I also didn't have kids to look after so that's kind of my point yeah well, I think other people though would say that actually if you're in a if you are in a relationship sometimes you have someone else to take the financial burden as well and I think I, I think it works both ways I've seen you making these changes and you know you've been in that situation where the mortgage is over your head isn't it I think what we're trying to say is there's different challenges isn't there for different people it's not and I don't think it's always the same route and it's not always throw it up and change everything but it is about finding I mean you use the word purpose and we we've found this coming up quite a lot actually in the talk about that sort of life's purpose and how it makes you feel and you know how you're going to spend your days and yeah. you know sometimes just because you feel you can't change things and everything feels sensible it doesn't mean that you should ignore that feeling because probably that's that's going to be linked to how much you enjoy the the years that you've got 
really. Oh, we're talk I'm talking like a really old person. The years that I've no. got left, but hey, listen, don't knock that either, though, because you don't know. You really don't you know. know these things come to surprise us. So, absolutely, I do agree with making the most of the years you've got. And but so it might not, but and there might be incremental ways you can make those changes. So, yeah. 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 And do yeah. it with intention. That's what I hear you saying is be very, in, you know, very intentful about how you go about it so that you hit the goal, whatever that goal may be, big or small or medium, it doesn't really matter. It's what really you care about, right? I think that's actually the only intention. So I'm going to agree with you, but also half disagree. As I say, I didn't know for ages what I wanted to do. It's just that I finally did that course at Arvon and it was a light bulb in my mind. Mm. But I knew ages I wanted to make that change I think I think there's something to be said also for trying a few different things if there's something inherently unhappy about your day-to-day -day, then perhaps it is about you know I did lots of short courses on the run-up to that in the 10 years run-up actually since setting up my company before going to Arvon I did loads of short courses and it was there that I kept getting the seed put into my head about Arvon hearing about it and so maybe it is about trying a few different things and seeing which one sticks because mm -hmm. i think often back to that point our point about people falling into careers and oh you might people might love the career but be bored of it after 10 years you know but they're not mm -hmm. knowing where to go and how do you know what you know how do you know what your transferable skills are without doing you know one of those <laughs> if you're not a school and you don't do an internet test so maybe it is about trying a few different things trying a few different short courses trying a few different hobbies and seeing which which sticks and which you love and uh, the intention is to find something you're passionate about yeah that. exactly mm -hmm. hey look this is i don't i mean this has been brilliant. amazing yeah <laughs> thank you very and much for inviting me on we have loved it thank you very much you're going to inspire a lot of our listeners thanks for listening we hope you enjoyed this episode if you did let us know about it we also want to hear what you've been up to since turning 40 get in touch on our website rightsideof40pod.com and don't forget follow us on twitter at rightside40 or instagram at rightsideof40pod all content is arranged by Eve and Caroline. And a big thank you to Terry and V. Neal for writing, performing and mixing the original music.